I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of My Week in Cars, the weekly autocar podcast from me, Matt Pryor, and him, Steve Cropley. Hello, Stephen. Matthew, how are you? I'm all right, mate. Well, I say I'm all right. I'm a little cramped in today's office, <laughs> which is the, not our salubrious uh, podcast studio. No. It is instead the front seats of our videographer, Jack's Fiat 500, <laughs> while he shoots some other stuff. Yeah, he's, uh, cornering shots are happening 25 yards away. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's, it's all right, isn't it? I quite like a phone. It's, you, you know what I think about Fiat 500s? This is a, I don't know, three, four-year-old one, I think. It's just so prettily designed inside and out isn't it it feels yeah. like a, a lovely piece of product design i always think that i agree with you and and also that um, they're durable as well mm. they, you know the trim isn't collapsing you, you remember the in the olden days fiat's were not famous for for the for all the the sort of soft bits lasting very well but mm. this 500s go for ages yeah they're really good yeah So this week, we are going to be expanding on our respective uh, autocar columns, which means we're going to be talking about uh, the Genesis, we're going to talk about Vauxhall uh, a little, we're going to be talking about DFV power plants, of all things, and so on and so forth, uh, including some of your correspondence, Steve, you have some, relating to uh, a subject we talked about last week. Yeah, we were talking about whether or not the people who had um, um, sponsored the Bloodhound Landspeed record car and subsequently got their name on the fin mm. we're going to keep it there in the under the new um regime because they're clearly there's a new management for the for the project now just heard from Stuart Edmondson who's the CEO of that new um enterprise and he says the names are indeed going to remain on the fin he says feel free to mention that we're still looking for a new owner investment approximately 10 million needed to set a new land speed record I had a look in the in the tin, but the housekeeping's a bit short. <laughs> Just a few pence. But I thought it was short. But it's not bad value, is it? Ten million well, quid no. for a land speed record. No, the thing that the point they always made was that it takes much more than ten million quid to come last in a Formula One mm. Grand Prix season. Yeah, and and it's 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 a fair point, isn't it? It is. I mean, there's a lot of way to spend ten million pounds on sports and go not very far. And they will 
create a lot of attention, you know, mm. worldwide, etc. So yeah. you would think that that some sponsor in need of worldwide publicity might see it as a as a way forward. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. So. Isn't it? What's more exciting than doing eight hundred miles an hour? Yeah, in a, across a dried up desert. It's pretty <laughs> cool, isn't it? It is pretty no, cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's a spectacular thing to see. Yeah, yeah. Right. Let's begin with your uh, column from this week, uh, which is a diary entry for Monday. Not often you get aerated about the styling and aura of a saloon you've barely driven, um, Genesis GV60. Yeah, I really like that car. Mm. For some reason, it reminds me of the cars that were drawn by Giugiaro when he was in his heyday. I just think that the, there's something about the shapes and the surfaces on that car that really makes me think of the best of those cars. And, and uh, they seem to have captured it. I just happen to like that that car and um i got so keen on the idea that i set off to to borrow a couple of them i have courtesy of yourself i've had a go in uh brief go in the cars that we've had in for testing but Mm. i wanted to do a bit more bit more mileage and um i made an arrangement rushed around to their depot which happens to be close to where i live and arrived a month early (laughs) That's pretty they, easy. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, we had a brief discussion about uh, fancy knowing somebody that doesn't even know what month it is, <laughs> let alone what day it is. And uh, and then I departed. But I'm looking forward to it. And uh, and I I think it's a pretty cool car. So they're a good looking car, aren't they? I saw a, I saw. You don't see loads of Genesis cars on the road yet, do you? No, but I saw one on no. the way down to where we are today, and I did think that is quite a good looking. Yeah, quite big, quite a big car actually. Quite yeah, a bigger car than it looks in pictures, I think. And the Hyundai Ionic Five, I saw one of those on the road as well today, and it's the same sort of deal. You look at it in pictures and go, oh yeah, you know, compact and sporty and yeah. elegant and everything. You see it on the road and go, oh crikey, that's a big, lump. that's yeah. a big thing. Well, didn't you say it was it was next to a C-class wagon or something? Which yeah, is it was not not small, but not it, a small car, but it dwarf, it really dwarfed it. I was following the C-class wagon on the inside lane, and the Ionic was overtaking us both. And it, yeah, so I just was looking at the back of the C-class and the three, rear three quarter of the Ionic. Yeah, and you just and I just looked a much much bigger car than the C-class. Yes. which you know, and I think a C-class is a big old, you know, Me too. A reasonable yeah. sized family wagon, really. Indeed. Yeah. Size is with us, isn't it? Size is with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. Well, onwards later in the well over the next fifteen years, I think we'll <laughs> talk about this more and more. Tuesday, Vauxhall turns one hundred and twenty years old this year. Yeah, it's just something that came my way. I was uh, there's the. The world is full of anniversaries this year. Mm. There's the <clears throat> the Goodwood Festival Speed 30. There's Goodwood Circuit 75. There's, um, I think the 911 is 60 years old. Oh, Porsche right. is yeah. 75 years old. Yeah. And there's at least one other. Oh, 50 years of the Lamborghini Miro, you said. That was it, yeah. yeah. Oh, and the, and the Ferrari 250 GTO as well. Oh, really? So there's some bombshell ones. Every year there's something, isn't there? So I think Vauxhall are going to be a bit lost and killed in the rush, really. Yeah, 120 is a funny year. It's a funny year, isn't it? It's not the big. It's not the. It's not a big one, is it? 120. I don't think. I had this. I was. It made me think. uh, Years ago, I I had this ridiculous idea for the Vauxhall centenary. I thought that they should do a deal with London authorities to take over the Vauxhall Bridge, or at least Mm. to get tenure of it. Put a great big, sort of strobe lighted archway in the middle of it with with some number plate recognition software so that anybody in a Vauxhall that drove across Vauxhall Bridge would cause the lights to flash and a big ni- a big sign to say welcome home because like 
Vauxhalls were were well, built down the road. Yeah, um, and the I, you know, it's not my job to suggest anything to Vauxhall, but but uh, I did anyway, and they ignored it with a with a <laughs> with a silence that can still be heard. <laughs> Excellent. Didn't somebody do some number plate recognition in town somewhere? I think. I want to say BMW or Mercedes or somebody yeah. did some kind of billboard with a with with some ANPR recognition and it did flash up something and it wasn't all that popular from memory. Was it because of privacy stuff? I think so, yeah, I think uh, so, but I can't I I will look it up before next week, but I have a, a vague recollection of yeah, something Yeah, and, and like it that. echoes with me too, mate. I think it might have been uh, I think it might have been BMW. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll, yep. I'll look it up. Somebody will write to me by the time. Oh, as somebody, in fact, has done about the... Um, uh, it's a, a man who I've never met, but I know reasonably well off the social media who drives a taxi around the Isle of Man, who says DSG, as, which I couldn't remember what it stands for. He said, of course, it stands for Direct Shift Gearbox, okay. which I'd forgotten entirely. But anyway, thanks, Kurt. Yes, that is what that stands for. Great, cool. So, uh, right, that was Tuesday. More of Tuesday, Steve. One of the mysteries of motoring for me has been the mechanical makeup of F1 power plants. Oh, yes, yes. I, um, well, I was just innocently sitting at my desk looking at my inbox, and in came this review of a, um, a book by a gentleman whose name escapes me, but it's written oh, on Oh, it's it. written down in a piece of paper in front of me. Steve Rendell? That's the man. Formula and One Technology, The Engineering Explained. Yeah, oh, well, he turns out to be a bloke that's written other technical books, including uh, one on the uh, an early Red Bull car, RB7, I think, RB6 or 7. Anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a good hand. And I approached the publisher of this new book. They sent me the, the PDFs, and I spent the rest of the day <laughs> when I should have been earning my corn reading this stuff, and it's absolutely brilliant. Really? And... Uh, I've always disliked this technical secrecy that surrounds F1, and, and lo and behold, uh, Steve Rendell uh, gives us a, a real window on it. So I'm, I've read, well, it, I say 50 in in the column. I think I've read about 85 now, but there's 330 of them, and I'm very soon I'm going to have read the 330. I find it really interesting, and I think it'll help us with understanding the cars this year. And it, so it's the modern. Yeah, about about the, the most up to date cars. Yeah, it's, it uh, explains you know the energy recovery systems yeah, and the yeah, okay. you know why the regs are the way they are and so on. It, it's it's a really good piece of work. Yeah, thorough boy, thorough. Lovely illustrations. Oh, cool. Really good and engagingly written, is it? Because yeah, not, because these sort of technical things can be a bit dry. No, the that's the time. thing. He's 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 just one of these people that can explain things, and as mm. you and I know, they're, they're they're elusive. Those people. Yeah, I always think that's the real. The real mark of a communicator is taking a very complicated subject and yeah. making it one engaging and two understandable. Yeah, me That's too, the real yeah. gift, I think. The there are, the, it turns out I had a bit of a hunt around the the net, and there are various other F one technical books. But the, but the the important thing is this bloke Steve Rendell. He's the, the he's done the most current one and the most comprehensive. Mm. Very good. I will borrow that when you're done with it, mate. Yeah, Definitely. sure. Well, I'll send it to you. Uh, more on Tuesday. Whenever I pay an exorbitant sum to have a car cleaned, <laughs> soapy foam that half does the job, a grudging amplification. <laughs> you tell me more, Steve. Oh, it's this. just a lot of nonsense. I, I was, I've just got that Never. hump because every car that I own is covered with this. It seems to have inches thick rubbish all over it. And people say, oh, yes, it's road salt or road grime. And it's mm. it's far more evil and, and 
<clears throat> sort of difficult to shift in that. It's like tar. It's yeah. just horrible. And and so I just formed this because I'm don't tell everybody this, but I'm paranoid. I I presume that there's a bunch of uh, of of professional car cleaners out there who have come up with this terrible concoction so that only they can remove it. You see? Oh, yeah, no, you know, you got me thinking about this. Yeah, they, and it's. Uh yeah, it's one of these things. They create the problem so that they can solve the problem. Yeah, well, I, the thing I've, I've got, gone on to say there is that I'm convinced that now, you know, we, here we are moving into spring. They're going to spend the next sort of six to nine making this stuff even more evil so that next year... <laughs> for next year. New and improved for next winter. Yeah, that's it. This is a, one of the... I mean, we have the best job in the world, no yep. question, but one of the less entertaining parts of it is banging your fingers to the quick in the freezing cold on a hillside trying to get a car clean 15 miles from the nearest jet wash yeah as we've just done this morning as we've just done this morning isn't it and yeah yeah, this time of year is a particularly i don't know what it is about the whether it's the salt mixed with other stuff or whether it's but it's some cars are a nightmare to to clean properly yeah just well enough to take photos aren't they that is really problematic and the, and the stuff, you know, the gunge is the thing is when it, it you park it in you know, I've, the sort of yard where I leave cars, and even when the rest of the yard is dry, there's this there's this kind of greasy gunge that you know four four pools of this stuff that's run off the car and, yeah. and refuses to evaporate. Gets yeah. on my nerves. Yeah, anyway. I am totally with you. Mate. Anyway. I'm totally with you. I don't clean cars at home very often for exactly that reason because I have to do it enough I have to do it enough for work thanks very much yeah. Yeah. And, and the days of paying teenagers to do it are now gone because they they've are. departed they what have. annoying they have Yeah. right we will take a uh, very short commercial break Steve and I will be back with My Week in Cars after this what car would you buy if you could buy any car what car would you buy if you knew you could save thousands what car would you buy if you could compare the latest offers from approved dealers What car would you buy if you could do all of this in one place in just a few simple clicks? And where would you go to buy that car? What car? Car buying made easy. Visit whatcar.com to buy your next new car. Hello and welcome back to My Week in Cars with Matt Pryor and Steve Cropley and your correspondence. And we have had a letter from Mario Bortolozzo who says he has got a PHEV plug-in electric hybrid uh, Kia Nero and oh no friends have bought a Kia Nero and a plug-in hybrid Mini and um, he is thinking about charging points being all over the place on cars for electric cars not just I mean electric and plug-in hybrids they are all over the shop actually aren't they I've got a plug-in hybrid Volkswagen multivan at the moment and it is on the front right hand flank just in front of the driver's door oh yeah Uh, I drove a Hyundai Ionic 5 last weekend and it was on the rear three three quarter Renault Zoe middle of the front middle of the oh group. right in the middle of the front yeah, yeah. and I Mario know. says um, where should it be where should, where is the ideal place for a port now I meant uh, I acknowledge this is a problem because when I ran the Polestar 2 and it was on the right rear flank and also in the Ionic 5 I went to a couple of fast chargers which have relatively short cables the really high performing Uh, ones relatively short cables and if those cables are too tight the charge port quite often sends a signal to the car going I'm sorry I can't 
trust this is, is dangerous. connected. Yeah, 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 this isn't right. Yeah, right. And I've had a couple of failed charges. Last week, at a sh- one of these Shell recharge, 175 yeah. kilowatt ones. But when you tap your card, they automatically authorise 45 quid's worth of charging. Oh. So if it then fails, as it did twice before so, I moved to the car, you've basically automatically authorised... done 45 quid. You've done 45 quid twice. I mean, it puts it back very quickly. It doesn't, you know, but, it, you, but you're aware as you tap. I've checked my statement a week later and there's only one there as it okay. should be but it's still but still you still think hang on, hang <laughs> yeah, on a minute. it's not it's not it's nice not, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so uh, i so, so i need that sort of bit of a slack in the cable yeah the only place i suggest where a charge port should be where you can guarantee it'll do that all the time is right in the middle of the back yeah middle of the back or middle of the front the middle. thing i like about the middle of the front is that you're unlikely to make any mistakes and clout the bleeding um, that is true. Bowser. And also, <laughs> if you're in the car looking at the charge point at the time, you can see yeah. what it, what lev- what rate of charge is going in, which you might want to do. You yeah. might want to look at, which is quite cool. But I think I think the point is not it is, is in the centre of the car somewhere, either front mm. or back. But back's good because then you can just drive straight away, can't yeah. you? Yeah. And as somebody else, I think Mr. Bortolotto says, it does either you can you can park the car ready to go yeah which is my preferred way of parking pretty good yeah because you, it's is. much easier to see out of a parking space and yeah you know, if no, it makes all the sense yeah the only car i know that has one right in the middle of the back bumper because there you have the problem it impedes on boot space and access and it's right in a crumple zone presumably yeah, crash, which is not yeah. very helpful yeah. uh is the lotus evaya the two million quid hypercar yeah. whatever that is that's yeah. right in the middle of the back bumper so from a purely functional <laughs> recharging perspective that is clearly the model to have Indeed. class leading from that point of view sure enough <laughs> <laughs> along with the price yeah. along with the price I don't know how many of those they've sold no idea no. sorry no, no idea no nor me nor me can we talk my column briefly yes let's go I want to yeah there's We're a couple God. of things we need to talk I, I, I'm desperate to hear about these little buggies that you, ah yeah but they do, are cool. do, do, there's a couple of well, the, uh, subjects well it's yes so I've covered it in news but there's uh, sorry I've covered it in my column but there's more in the mag in the news section as well it's this week the EU has signed off the next phase it's still got to go through another phase of sign off hasn't it but they've done one vote on their 2035 petrol and diesel combustion ban plan yeah, plus, yeah. You know, that, that, it, that it that it is going to happen but there is still the um loophole is the wrong word but there is still the exemption in it that there was a couple of years ago we wrote about for micro manufacturers who sell fewer than 1000 cars a year now presumably that's 1000 cars a year in Europe in the EU in yeah. fact itself because there's no it doesn't say globally it just says if you sell fewer than 1000 cars so that must mean in the EU yeah now that gives quite a lot of headroom for a small manufacturer it does it does i i think the the thing I take out of this is I, I did not know this until I read in your column um, any more than you know that there had been a suggestion but the thing that I take out of that because I love these little companies is is that there is a will even in Europe where you know I see the government is a bit more monolithic perhaps than, mm. than, than it is in our country but <clears throat> there's a will to make these, these businesses survive and yeah. that's what we need yeah we, they must survive. There's, there's too much sort of wonderful technology and enterprise and determination and eccentricity and all that. We can't lose these things. No, exactly. So the fact that somebody in government is thinking, 
sensible thoughts is is really good news to yeah. me. And it's time, you know, when you think of the grand scheme of things, a small niche lightweight sports car that does not very many miles a year. Okay, it is yes, it is burning stuff, but it's not very big volumes. I mean, somebody's worked out for classic cars which typically do 1200 miles a year that their burden on the planet is significantly less than most smartphones and laptops yes. every year uh, energy use you know yeah yeah so and, and don't yeah. we know already as as well you know that at least you and I know the principles of aerial and catering pretty well and we know that they both have electrification plans anyway they, they you know they have i don't believe these people the, the serious ones want to avoid the law they just they need to be remain economic while they're preparing. Yeah, and there is, yes, because they don't have the money to be at the forefront of the technology. They've got to buy it from somebody else. And at the moment, if you're trying to make a lightweight sports car, battery technology isn't good enough to, no. uh, to make a truly lightweight yeah. sports car. And if you do a track car, you know, the energy use is too high to make a, a sensible electric track car really yeah, yeah. yeah. and, so and yeah. load on brakes and yeah. tires and all yeah. yeah no it's a long way to travel isn't it but then i thought on my uh, while i was driving down here today i thought to myself i think this is you know by and large this is a good thing and i've also explored in the column well could a manufacturer like porsche who make a lot of racing cars and are quite into synthetic fuels and the eu has promised it will consider the future of synthetic fuels in in clarifying clarifying the rules over the next couple of years um, could Porsche, which makes 300,000 cars a year, way over the micro manufacturer, even small manufacturer. But if it said, because it owns Manti Racing and the GT department is largely separate from the rest of the company, could it say, say what, you go and be a separate car manufacturer, mm. you'd be an independent in your own right, and then you just still do your thing. But anyway, as I was coming oh, down, sure. I was thinking, all this is nice, but is it... Is it fair on, because what you're saying is if you can afford it, you can ignore the rules coming in in 2035. If you can afford a Pagani Zonda, yeah, you can still have a V12. But actually, matey, who, you know, you and I, mm. well, I have to abide by the rules, actually. I have to, and it's not, there have always been rich people and poor people, fine. I cannot afford a super yacht, and they can, but I'm not legally not allowed to have a super yacht. No, that's a very you know good I mean? distinction. I, I yeah. am, you know, if I only have a certain amount of money, I am legally forbidden from having anything but a zero yeah. emissions vehicle. And yeah, they yeah. are not. And that is a point where I suddenly thought, oh, actually, this is not quite as straightforward as it no. used to be. No, it, 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 it's, it's a curly one. I think the, uh, the ones that I admire are the ones who have every intention of... of Electrification, you know, Simon Saunders at Aero, he wants to be a green car manufacturer. Yeah. But the thing he's got to do is wait until the infrastructure is right and also be, as you say, the the, the lightweight and sophisticated components that he will need are available. Mm. And I, I think they're the people that need um, need fair wind. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yes, and I'm and I'm generally pleased that they are out of out of scope is the phrase of the regulations and that, uh, as you say. And I always thought that would be the... In the UK, I think we've got some politicians who do get small volume manufacturing and appreciate it. Yeah. Because we've got so much of it in the UK anyway. Yeah. It's a real thing for us. It's a driver of so much, isn't it? Yeah, look, isn't look, it? look at all the, all the great people that have, that have started off in those, in those little enterprises. Fantastic. Mm, yeah. 
So the second bit of my column then. Yeah. Which is these <laughs> off-road. Me. So on the, yeah, on the theme of lightweight <laughs> sports cars, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a feature on the Segway Villain and uh, Polaris RZR, which is, in the States, I think they call them side-by-sides. They're right. sort of, they, I think they came about slightly as agricultural vehicles, an alternative to quad bikes, because farmers get fed up with riding quad bikes in the freezing cold when they've got all their kit on and they've got to put a leg over it and it's still there's no shelter and you can't take anything with them and they're dangerous yeah um so these kind of sort of half covered buggies off-road buggies became a thing and they are pretty popular for leisure activities as well yeah and uh piers ward are oh crikey what's his job title associate editor executive editor one of those it's editor in it somewhere isn't it obviously features oh might be yeah. yeah, anyway. He's certainly in charge of features. He's anyway. certainly in charge of features. He said, well, Segway have just got into this market and um, I think we should have a go in it and uh, let's get a Polaris, who is a, which is a long-standing member of the club. Unknown, yep. Yeah, and we'll get them along for a... We'll take them to Wales for a thrash on the road and then a thrash on the beach and see what's what. Would they be a genuine alternative to something like a lightweight sports car? Of the of the like that is getting harder to make and sell, you know, in the Toyota GR86 mould. Could you go and say, yeah. I, I'll have a. Polaris I love the idea. I great, love the, the household sort of dopey little car that yeah. everybody jumps into. We were down at um, Porlock Weir on a on a yep. job a couple of years ago, and it was a sunny day, and we were doing some shooting, I think, on the slipway, and somebody came down to use the pub down there in something exactly like that. This little you know, open buggy, two seats inside. I think it was motorbike engined. And I just thought, God, I bet that's a laugh. Yeah, I yeah. bet that's a good laugh. Well, what's the, what, what's the bottom line? What, good. What? Yeah, really good. The problem in, in these conditions is they are cold. But I love that line. There's a line in your column which says, I have sold, what was seldom it? Been I've colder, seldom been colder. I've seldom been colder. <laughs> but they are affordable. They're 18, 20,000 pounds, including VAT on the road and stuff like that. They're good fun. They've got electric power steering, so they're, they're easy to easy to manoeuvre around the they've got they've both got two cylinder um thousand cc engines making about 100 horsepower so and they rev to seven the thing with them is because they've got a centrifugal clutch and a cvt transmission you sort of go to a certain amount of revs and they spin up there and stay there. So, oh, so on a yeah. on a you know, as you're accelerating, they can be buzzing over at seven thousand revs. They go a bit, though. They go very well. Yeah, they go very well because they weigh six to eight hundred kilos, oh, so they're pretty good. brisk. Yeah, oh, it's pretty brisk. Good. But they but they are a bit buzzy. You know, you need earplugs yeah. and a, you need earplugs and a helmet really. <laughs> but they are, you know, for affordable fun and because they've got these balloon tires that are very friendly off road. They're great fun on the road because they move around at ridiculously low speeds. So they're, yeah, really engaging, really good fun. I think if I had a bit more space, ideally you'd want some off-road space to enjoy one, a field or two. Yeah. But they're great. They are genuinely good fun on the road as well. Could you actually crew... Could you take one on your holidays? You could, yeah, I reckon. It's no harder than a... If you if you went on holiday in a caterham, you could do it in that. Oh, wow. Is what I would say. Oh, is okay. I, I reckon there's a little bit of luggage space in the back where you'd you'd strapped off stuff to the frame, I guess, and um, you could. So the the laws are a bit complicated, and I think the government probably don't want to advertise how uncomplicated they could be because I, sus- I you suspect it's the kind of thing where they're quite happy with a level of people 
using them at the moment, but you don't want everybody to suddenly start no. using them. A bit like quad bikes in a way. Yeah. You can register them agriculturally, and then I think they... Mm, I think... I'm going to have to double check. I think they're limited to 40 miles an hour and like a mile and a half or a kilometre and a half of where they're registered to. Ah. But you can also get a registration, what they call a T registration, and then you can basically use them as you would use your car. Right. But they are restricted if they have ABS to 60 miles an hour. But 60 is pretty good. That's you don't right. want to go yeah. that much quicker. No. Nah. And they're so much fun at low speeds that you don't need to go anywhere. Well, also the breeze and, as you yeah. rightly say, the cold. The cold. I think yeah. you can get a heat. I'm sure you can get a heater for them, I know. but I just but, love the simplicity. I must yeah. say I love it. And, yeah. And I can quite imagine, you know, leaping in one and, you know, driving three miles to the post office too. Yeah, it'd be great fun. Yeah. It'd be great fun on the local on the local roads. The um, the thing is, I drove one from... So we were up in uh, the Black Mountains and we drove down to Pendine Sands for, for the stuff, uh, for, for a shoot the next day. So I drove the Segway from one place to the other, which is about an hour and a half in minus three, and mm. it was snowing a bit, and the headlights are... So you'd want to upgrade. You'd want to upgrade the headlights. Did you have your battery-powered um, jacket on? No, you know. Yeah, I didn't. You know what? <laughs> foolishly, I did. I did not. No, foolishly, my my heated gilet, which is a yeah, which is the like the game changer. <laughs> I didn't have it with me. But you can get out. You know, you can get. It had a wind deflector, and that was okay. So it was okay. But it's you just want to dress yeah appropriately, and in the summer it'd be a riot. Like you yeah. say, just you know, three miles on a Sunday to the post office oh, and I then bet. pop oh. out for lunch. Oh, I love the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, there's one more item, I think, Steve, as we move back to your column, which is another thing. Meet the creators of the Lotus Amira. Oh, we yeah. We talked about it the other week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah well, I'm hoping to attract you to this thing. Mm. This is Feb, uh, Monday, Feb 25, I think it is. There's a We're having a bit of an event at the British Motor Museum. Starts at 7 o'clock. You can get there from 6 o'clock, pay 25 quid, have uh, some something to eat and then listen to Russell Carr the mm. chief designer of Lotus and Gavin Kershaw who's the we know very well as the hero driver you yeah. know the bloke that develops the chassis those two blokes are going to arrive each in an Amira um, park them on the stage and explain the cars and, yeah, and uh, you know they're it's an unusual opportunity to meet such people because normally you know the folks that stand behind such cars have tend to be sales orientated one of these is one of these designed it and the other one developed a chassis so they, good, it'll be real horse's mouth yeah. stuff and it's only over the it's not far from where you live mate so That's I'm hoping good. you'll come I'd love to be there mate I would love to be there yeah I would not miss that if I could yeah excellent well it's so 20 I think I'm right 25th of that's of, what it says Monday 25 Feb here yeah, yeah. and uh, um, I think details on, on certainly on the British Motor Museum website mm. and possibly on our own I'm not absolutely sure about That's that pretty good isn't it I mean, just to because, like you say, I mean, it's hearing from the the two top ponchos. Yeah, they're a great pair of blokes too. Yeah, really easy to talk to. Really terrific, engaging. Yeah, yeah, super. Well, look forward to that very much. Uh, join us there if you can. Um, if you cannot, then join us next week on the My Week in Cars podcast, where we will return at the same time at your favourite podcast provider. In the meantime, we are at autocar.co.uk. You can find us uh, elsewhere on YouTube. The Autocar Electric series of podcasts is going to have another little reboot. We're going to do another run of those, which is cool. And you can find the magazine on digital subscription or in print, as it has been every week since 1895. Steve, thanks very much. See you later. See you next week.